0: Okay, let me set us up a tiny bit. Okay. You heard last night that I'm interested in doing some episodes that are kind of aimed a little more explicitly at the performance reading aspect of poetry, by which I do not mean page versus stage. Like, I'm not interested in that. What I am interested in is how can I experiment with making the podcast itself feel either more like a live performance or be attending a poetry reading as opposed to like a studio mm-hmm. event like a, almost like you know the difference between a live recording uh, in music and a studio recording but also to ask poets who either explicitly are what we call interdisciplinary or have a performance background or performance aspect in their work or or not where the reading part of it, where the audience, the live audience, the happening comes into it for them. So I kind of wanted to start with like a Hello and welcome to episodes one hundred and twenty and one hundred and twenty one of Commonplace. I'm your host, Rachel Zucker. In this episode, episode 120, you'll hear a conversation between Fred Moten, Ronaldo V. Wilson, and myself. Ronaldo V. Wilson, PhD, poet, interdisciplinary artist, and academic, is the author of Narrative of the Life of the Brown Boy and the White Man, winner of the Cave Canem Prize, Poems of the Black Object, winner of the Tom Gunn Award for Gay Poetry, and the Asian American Literary Award in Poetry. Farther Traveler, Poetry, Prose, Other, finalist for a Tom Gunn Award for Gay Poetry, and Lucy, 72. His latest books are Carmelina, Figures, and Virgil Kills, Stories. The recipient of numerous fellowships, including Cave Canem, the Fine Arts Work Center in Provincetown, the Ford Foundation, Kundiman, McDowell, the Robert Rauschenberg Foundation, and Yaddo, Ronaldo V. Wilson is Professor of Creative Writing and Literature at UC Santa Cruz, serving on the core faculty of the Creative Critical Ph.D. program, principal faculty member of CRESS, Critical Race and Ethnic Studies, and affiliate faculty member of DAM, Digital Arts and New Media. Fred Moten's latest projects are a poetry collection, Perennial Fashion Presence Falling, Wave Books, a record album, Fred Moten, Brandon Lopez, Gerald Cleaver, reading group records, and an essay collection, All Incomplete, co-authored with Stefano Harney, Jun Lee, and Denise Fiera da Silva. He is also the author of many other collections of poems and books of nonfiction, including The Consent Not to Be a Single Being Trilogy of Books, published in 2017 and 18, and A Poetics of the Undercommons, published in 2016, all of which are mentioned in this episode and frequently mentioned with awe and love by many former commonplace guests. Moten lives in New York and teaches in the Departments of Performance Studies and Comparative Literature at New York University. I recorded the conversation you're about to hear in a large, mostly empty, echoey room at the Poetry Project at St. Mark's Church in New York City on May 25th, 2023. In this conversation, Fred Moten, Ronaldo Wilson, and I talk about their reading the night before in the same but at that time very crowded room in which each of them read from their own work. That reading, recorded the evening of May 24th, is episode 121. In 121, you won't hear much of my voice, which is partly why I chose to put the conversation and this introduction first. What you will hear in episode 121 is a short montage of audio I recorded from the eagerly anticipatory audience. Then you'll hear director of the Poetry Project, Laura Henriksen's introduction to the event, Poet S. Aaron Batiste's introduction of Ronaldo. Ronaldo will read, then Laura Henriksen's introduces Fred. Fred reads, and finally, a few words from S. Aaron Batiste talking to me about Fred and Ronaldo's reading. The reading was amazing, weird, and full of surprises. Ronaldo interspersed his readings from his book, Virgil Kills, with multimedia work that included video, music, and some movement. Fred Moten mostly read from his most recent book, Perennial Fashion Presence Falling. But in both of Fred and Ronaldo's performances, the lines between what's on the page in front of the reader, what is performance banter, what is audience interaction, what is improvisation or live composition, these lines are fluid and somewhat uncategorizable. The room at the reading was packed. The energy was high. There were so many people, some stood in the back and others at the urging of Laura Henriksen sat against the wall behind the readers so that I had the very odd experience of sitting next to a person who was stealthily taking photographs of Eileen Miles, who was sitting on the floor behind the reading podium facing the rest of us for almost the entire reading. There is a video of the reading available on YouTube, and we will link to that in the show notes. But what I want to convey to you here is that if there are times when you're listening to episode 121, audio of that reading and you think wait what what's happening now is this in the poem just go with it enjoy it you're gonna have that feeling of not quite knowing what's going on at moments even if you watch the video I had that feeling sitting in the live audience that feeling was part of the pleasure and excitement that made this reading feel so incredible At any moment, I had no idea what was going to happen next. Sometimes I didn't even know how to describe to myself what was happening as I was watching and listening to it happen. In a way, the performance became a poem itself. And that's partly what I've been trying to capture and describe with these series of episodes about poetry readings. A great poetry reading is something far beyond getting to hear a poet read their work aloud. And this was a great poetry reading. So, in this episode, 120, Ronaldo, Fred, and I talk about that amazing reading. I ask Fred and Ronaldo how each of them picked their set list. I ask them about when the reading begins and ends, the liveness or happeningness of readings and performance, and about the role of performance in their work. This episode is not an explanation of the event at the Poetry Project. No explanation of that event or Fred and Ronaldo's work is necessary or possible. I encourage you to listen to these paired episodes in whatever order feels right to you, including going back and forth between them. There is a long detailed list of the people and texts mentioned by Fred and Ronaldo on the Commonplace website and in the show notes. So Maybe just give yourself over to the experience of listening to these two genius artists play with and offer and wield language. For this episode, some members of the Commonplace Book Club will receive the three-book opus Consent Not to Be a Single Being by Fred Moten, courtesy of Duke University Press, Perennial Fashion Presence Falling by Fred Moten, courtesy of Wave Books, Carmelina Figures by Rinaldo V. Wilson, courtesy of Wendy's Subway, and Lucy72 by Rinaldo V. Wilson, courtesy of 1913 Press. All Commonplace patrons will get access to audio files from Fred Moten and Rinaldo V. Wilson. Thank you, Fred and Rinaldo, for these treasures. All Commonplace patrons will also get an end-of-year audio message from me, that includes a few thoughts about editing this episode and about the state of the podcast. In honor of this episode, our charitable partner will donate $250 to Project South, chosen by Fred Moten, and to the Fine Arts Work Center Summer Scholarship Program, chosen by Ronaldo Wilson. From the Project South website, Project South was founded as the Institute to Eliminate Poverty and Genocide in 1986. Our work is rooted in the legacy of the Southern Freedom Movement and our mission of cultivating strong social movements in the South powerful enough to contend with some of the most pressing and complicated social, economic, and political problems we face today. Project South is a Southern-based leadership development organization that creates spaces for movement building. From the Fine Arts Work Center website, The Fine Arts Work Center is an artist-led organization based in Provincetown and connected to the world. We support artistic freedom, nurture creative connections, and make possible artistic achievements important to the larger culture. The Summer Scholarship Program is committed to making summer workshops as accessible as possible to low-income people from the BIPOC community, the AAPI community, the LGBTQ plus community, and other systematically marginalized communities. Including episodes 120 and 121 and our two KTCO feed drops, Commonplace has released 16 episodes in 2023. We've done this without corporate funding or institutional support. A huge, huge thank you to all of our Commonplace patrons. You make Commonplace possible. If you're not already a patron, please consider becoming one. Visit commonpodcast.com or patreon.com slash commonplace podcast. You can also make a one-time donation to the show with the Venmo link in the show notes or on our website. We do have a lovely thank you gift for Commonplace patrons and listeners from Libro FM, an independent purveyor of audiobooks. I myself love listening to audiobooks, and for a while I've been trying to figure out how to get audiobooks to commonplace listeners, along with the incredible books that are offered by the publishers of many of our guests. Libro, which is to Audible, what bookshop is to Amazon, has graciously offered three free audiobook credits to commonplace patrons at the $25 a month level. We will include more information about this and the Libro FM affiliate link for all interested commonplace listeners in our newsletter, which you can sign up for on our website and in the show notes. And now back to my conversation with Fred Moten and Ronaldo v. Wilson. Fred Moten is the first to answer my first question. Enjoy. And don't forget to listen to the accompanying reading episode 121. The happening comes into it for them. So I kind of wanted to start with like a super basic question and ask how, when, and maybe why each of you came up with your set list for, for last night.
1: <laughs> um, well, I used to be much more deliberate and kind of look ahead, you know, when it came to the set list, but... And I guess because this book is new, I kind of felt like, um, you know, I should be reading from the new book. But I've also gotten to the point where I've done enough readings the last couple years with this stuff that I'm sort of, not tired of it, but, but you kind of, I hate to have that feeling that like if I see somebody, I'm like, oh, they were at the last reading and they already heard me read that, you know. And then the other part about it is that some of these poems in this book were also used on this sort of album recording that I did. And, I, and I'm conscious of the difference, you know, between sort of reading by myself and reading with musicians, with, um, with Gerald Cleaver and Brandon <laughs> Lopez. So, so all of that kind of gets in your head. But, but, but what ended up happening last night was like... Um, it's kind of funny. I just, I had this vague idea that there were these two poems that I wanted to read that were longer, the one called Surfacing and the one called Approaching, but I didn't think that they would be enough to cover all my 30 minutes, so then I thought, okay, well, those two have, are gerunds, It's uh, <laughs> the word I found out last night, so and there's a couple others. Uh, there's a poem called "Nodding," which I didn't read, and a poem called "Covering," which I started off. with. So I thought, okay, I'll just do that. And then I just, at one point, I turned the page. I thought, oh, I want to read this one, too, you know. But it turned out that that was full of Jaren. So, but the idea of the Jaren theme really came up, kind of when when Laura was introducing me, you know. So it was pretty, pretty. The moment.
0: Can I ask one follow-up question before Ronaldo tells <coughs> us about his set list. So how much, if at all, last night and like in general, would you change your set list because you were reading with Ronaldo reading in the poetry project and maybe even reading to a kind of audience that you expect or see, in the in in this space as opposed to other spaces
1: well that's that's really complicated and interesting too because i remember years ago first time i ever read here in this room probably man it was 20 years ago maybe and these friends of mine came to the reading and they were like well that's not your audience Mm. (laughs) you know and and of course i grew up you know as a sort of lover of poetry sort of idealizing this place and and therefore by extension this this audience so but there was also something about the fact that i mean for me you know i i would say that i i i write black poetry Okay, so um, so on some level, I think that's what they meant. And maybe 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 even more specifically that there's a kind of sort of oral, you know, component to what I'm doing that 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 maybe people in the audience weren't quite hearing that, you know, but it was also maybe that people weren't responding in the way that you might imagine like like people might be responding like it at New Yorican Poets mm-hmm, Cafe mm-hmm. or something like that. So so there was all of that. But But I would say I got to the point where I just decided that it didn't matter so much about... It's like this weird thing where I don't care about the audience. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't... I'm not trying to... I don't have some theory of who my audience is. You know, it could be anybody. And then at the same time, I'm still writing black poetry. I'm still in some really basic way, writing for black people. Mm -hmm. But yet I don't care who the audience is. Those things are not, they might be contradictory, but the contradiction doesn't bother me. Mm -hmm. And then very specifically yesterday, last night, because I knew I was reading with Ronaldo, that's, you know, I was with Ronaldo, mm-hmm. so that, <laughs> that made it, that made me feel free, you mm-hmm. know, to do, to do what I can do, you know, and, and also, I mean, I felt like that even before, but then last night, when, when you, when you were doing what you did, I just was like, again, I even said it last night, I was like, look, look what we can do, look what we could try to do. You know, look look what we can do if we just let ourselves try, you know, mm-hmm. and, um,
2: you know. So. There are, I, in terms of the set, maybe the invitation um, informed the decision. Like once I knew I was reading with Fred, I felt this, you know, immediately at home, immediately at the feet, but also soaring, but also moving around the possibility of this moment. And I thought, I really want to make sure I'm engaged and I'm, how to think about, I think the set starts in many, many ways for me. I mean, it starts in the middle of work, Mm. you know, of the teaching, of the swimming, of the morning, M-O-U-R, but also M-O-R-N. All of those things are happening simultaneously And then I have to decide at some moment, you know, how much can I clear, you know, all all of the things, right? All of the, you know, moments before the reading, I'm engaged in all this work stuff, right? Just clearing for that one little moment and then getting to the place where I can then swim before I came. And then swimming and thinking, okay, if I can elongate and really just move into that moment. What I didn't anticipate was nausea. Like I got after I finished swimming, I was I was like, oh, I'm redlining, because I had all these days to get ready for this moment to come to the city. Because also I'm traveling, Mm -hmm. right? So all of these things, moving this stuff from California, and I had this like real, um, like these dry heaves, Mm. of and I realized, oh, I'm fatigued, (laughs) you know, (laughs) because I haven't eaten, and I'm like, what's going on with my body? So when I thought I was going to prepare on the train coming from Long Island into the city, into the new Grand Central Station. I, I slept. Mm-hmm. And I think in that sleeping, I, and I, 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 right before I left, I pulled um, Aunt Hester's scream that, which was so pivotal for me um, it, when I was writing my dissertation, and also a little, uh, the, 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 uh, a little passage on the consent of not, be, um, you know, these conditions of not being alone, right? A little piece I just kind of put on my laptop. I cleaned the laptop, off. And I read those pieces, and I started thinking about blackness, about Fred's interrogation around blackness as a site that is happening through music, through musicality, through, through really listening to maybe, maybe to the, the, the kind of attending to the rhythm uh, and the beat of the life of blackness as a form. And so it occurred to me that I wanted to do a couple of things in the set, was be, to honor motion to honor movement and fluidity, but also to honor where I'm working in my visual practice, which is just letting these films, um, these films collage and layer in such a way that they can just sort of announce the wall, announce the heart, announce the kind of intraspatial. And so then I thought, okay, if I work on these slides, and I hadn't done this before, when I was working on them, I thought, this is a little too long, but one of the things I was thinking about doing was rendering an essay that I had written um, around uh, here. And I'd opened the essay where I was playing tennis in this room. And I finished the essay and I thought, okay, that's going to be impossible because I have to. The essay included all these images. Mm. So I realized I can't do that. I can't start now on a slideshow and pull these images. What I can do is go back to a slideshow that I already have and interpose these films into this PowerPoint presentation. And what I discovered is that I could move film on top of images Mm -hmm. and have them... That, for me, was a big breakthrough. So I thought, this is lit. I can move this and this together. And then I thought, okay, the pieces that I, I... didn't get, but sometime before I got to that, I thought, these are the selections I want to read in this space. I really want to think about family. I want to think about my mother. And I just want to go through the book and think, where am I announcing? And I didn't want to be, um, I didn't want to be, uh, you know, sort of hyper. I didn't want to kind of go to the hypersexual places intentionally. I really want to just honor my parents. And as I went through those places, I realized, okay, I just will have this call and response between the book and these images. And then it, maybe it occurred to me sometime before, and then I could just relax and think around these moments. But also, I'm preparing this while I'm while in a restaurant where I'm being attacked for not being able to discern between two nations by two white men. And and I realized there was such rage, mm-hmm. rage at me sitting and working and discerning. And I, I didn't realize how much hostility was at that moment. So I think the set came out of all of those conditions, you know, uh, the reading condition, the flowing condition, the 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 kind of um, the service condition, and also the need to honor being in community with all of these things. And I think for me, the organization of the poetry reading is always revolving around the event. Mm-hmm. And if I can encapsulate the event or capture it, n- most of the time it will at least. Render something that I can then learn. I can learn how to do something um, more. I guess more better. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, (laughs) more better. Yeah. So that's the thing.
0: Oh my God! So are you saying that that this was the first time that you had put movies and still photographs together?
2: It is the first time that I composed them. Okay. I mean, I, I, had, I had probably tried it, yeah. but it's the first time that I had a little bit of free space to say, okay. But, you know, also, also I just went to – Isaac Julian was just hired at UC Santa Cruz. Mm-hmm. Jennifer Gonzalez, a wonderful scholar, um, just gave a talk on a number of people, including Isaac – And I really learned something around... I was like, oh, everyone's doing this diptych triples. But I thought, fuck it, let me try Mm -hmm. to render it. And it is really important, the placement. So it was the first time I'd probably ever... Yeah, it was a discovery that I'd never... I'd moved a film in there, but I'd
0: never had two and a photo. Mm -hmm. Especially a drawing. Okay, so... this is. So okay, I'm thinking of two things, and this is going to get hopefully to a specific question. One during the reading um, and thinking about the reading, and now I keep thinking of this phrase, you know, the American English idiom, "You had to be there," which which is sometimes said in a kind of nasty way, and some kind sometimes said in a loving, sort of playful way, like. Oh, It was so wonderful. It was so beautiful. It's hard for me to describe it to you. You had to be there, you know, or like this is an inside joke or this, I'm speaking to a community um, that you're not a part of. And this makes me think also of like, is this your audience? Who is your audience? Because, you know, I thought when you first said that, Fred, like, yeah, well, there's a lot of white people there last night. I don't think they're my audience either. In, in some interesting ways, but and then the the like you had to be there aspect of like, okay, so on commonplace, we'll play the recording, but it's not gonna be the same. And both of you, in very different ways, created something that I think you had to be there to fully experience or to experience in a certain way. So first of all, there's no way that, the, that a podcast audience can see um, the visual aspects of the work uh, that, that were there. So that in some ways excludes um, a listening audience. But for much of your reading, I found myself closing my eyes so like, not even watching what was happening visually, and yet I still had a feeling that any recording was not going to be the same as the experience that I was having in that moment, in that room, being here. Okay, so let me come back to that for just one second. The, the, the other thing that I'm fascinated about is... When does the reading and you brought this up, Ronaldo, like it starts when I'm swimming, it starts when I'm, you know, in this restaurant. When does the reading or the event begin? When does it end? And you played with us. I mean in in from the from the first moment, right? Of does it start when the first uh, sort of legible image comes up on the wall does it start when you stand up does it start when you start speaking into the microphone does it start when you're moving your body in a way that 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 calls us to attention that something is happening that's not just kind of human beings walking around and talking to each other and and one of the things that I have always loved so much about your work, which previously I just experienced on the page, was the way in which you bring me as a reader into the present moment and all of these different, like, present moments of being in the... It was a Greek restaurant, right? And you ordered Turkish coffee. Is that... Yeah. yeah. Okay. Right. Okay, so, like... But no, not. I think, I, think I, I identify so much with this desire to have all of the experiences come into the present of the reading, like the swimming, the nausea, the slides, the scholar, the restaurant, the harm of the restaurant, the moment of, of, of uh, encountering the audience, of standing up and seeing of 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 being on display of of having the the energy of the crowd. So I guess my specific question now that I've talked all around it is when does the poetry reading, such as it is for you, start and end if there is a start and an end and is is it part of your like explicit intention to blur and break down those lines of, well, this happened before the reading, this is the reading, this is the future, this is, I feel like it's something you're doing on purpose. I mean, you
2: know, it's certainly purposeful, mm-hmm. for sure. It's purposeful in the sense that it's, you know, it's a professional, it's my kind of it's a sort of how I imagine what it means to be a performer, that like these are the constraints, right? And I think that the the constraints do come from a tradition of understanding that all of the work has to go into. It. That's why I love Fred the way that your your poems are working and your essays are always working is that they are always starting in the moment of uh, this this um, a kind of compact, a kind of a you know like a, an agreement, right? An agreement or or something else, which is this a um, radical sense of of saying, place is going to begin um, hovering under all of the possibilities of the poem, under all the possibilities of the utterance and all of the possibilities of of relaxing into the state of the groove, and getting to that groove, getting to like how it always starts, is something that I think just comes from you know, family, just like the way that I was raised, the way, like, everything everything was an event, everything, the, the tennis court was a stage you had to get ready. Mm-hmm. If you're singing, you have, I mean, we're, tra- we're trained, right? Trained. Because this is the thing, in that moment, I was also the one paying for the bill. I was also the one who was buying that $37 salad niçoise, or whatever I wanted at that moment I could have, and they knew it. And the moment I became oh, may I have the check? I'd like the check. It, it's suddenly, and I don't like to do that, but I had to do that in order to get the work done, right? So my sense of where the stage or the performance begins, I'm realizing, is my own. And, I, you know, I keep thinking about, I just wrote a long essay on um, the poem that really got me to write poetry was June Jordan's... Um, a poem about my rights, Mm -hmm. and that wrong is not my name, and that movement into just, I read it again, I wrote about it, in that poem, her understanding, or the speaker's understanding, of of the world, of the universe, and where that begins, and where that figure, human begins, as a black, whatever, all the things that blackness, in that poem, was working, that brought me to writing poetry, but it also taught me, to be prepared. And I also think it was because she was one of my very first teachers. And one of the things that June did was she, before any reading, she would line us up and she would have, she'd get a room for us and there would be seven mics. And we would have to stand in front of them and she would read you. You would read your poems. No, 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 no. We would just get corrected. So we had this respect as young poets. And again, I was 19, 20. So I think coming into that, and I do think that comes from, you know, like my grandmother saying, you know, because I think there's something around when I'd say, oh, I'm going to go to this protest. She'd say, oh, did you eat? Mm-hmm. Did you have your eggs? Because you're going to be out there all day. Mm-hmm. And I think that preparation, and I do, I do think, when, when Fred, when you were saying in the room, you know, or in the poems around how do we attend to the protest, I mean, to me, every reading, every act of living is an act of protest. Every single thing, if I'm in the show, everything, and and simultaneously, it's also the performance, and it's also the poem. And to be in that zone is to be in, I think, the great lineages of all the people that I sweated as a poet, like those romantic poets. Mm -hmm. I mean, those are also the people who I heard first, and then Gwendolyn Brooks. And, you know, these are people who are attending to, they were like in something that was attenuated to all of the things that you're asking about, which is the poem, the start. The reading is just, you know, you know, it's like if I were a professional tennis player, I know that I have to work a million hours, have every trainer possible. And I feel that way with art, right? I'm, I'm lucky enough to, to have the conditions to set it up so I can have optimal mind. Mind, mindfulness in certain ways, but you know, I think that's that's the conditions of a performance. But the the drive of it, mm-hmm. I think, comes from a place that I don't quite understand. Other than saying it's going to be a fight, hmm. like I'm always fight ready, and I think Fred's okay. <laughs> Fred's always fight ready too. And I think that's a very particular formation. When I I look, we were talking about the world. I'm not getting into poetry residencies. Uh-huh. Ronaldo V. Wilson is getting rejected from poetry residencies. So Ronaldo V. Wilson has to apply as an interdisciplinary artist. Uh-huh. Something, and I didn't want to go. I mean, I'm sending these crazy things out, and then something told me at some point, you know, stop. I just said, I'm not going to do it anymore, Let me just give me a studio space. And that changed everything about, say, seven or eight years ago. Uh-huh. So now I'm really aware, because sometimes if I'm working out, so if I go to a residency, what I'll do is I'll spend eight to ten hours in studio, either inside or outside, just working on dance movements. So I'm aware of every single thing because every single thing is compelling to me, and it's also a possible movement into the writing, right? So the lip balm was also a very intentional mark making device in that performance. It's a compelling move, but that comes from sitting in a room for hours and hours, watching it, all the greats, all the greats, William Pope Bell, um, William Kentridge, Adrian Piper, um, Guillermo Gomez-Pena, like I have a deep appreciation and I'm interested in, and all the performers, like Michael Jackson, all of them. I'm just interested in like, what is that thing that makes, you know, it, I mean, maybe I lost track of the question. I'm just, but I, I think there's something around Knowing that, you know, I'm also swimming because I know I don't, I know that I have to be moving in space a different way. Mm-hmm. So I'm training all the time right. for, the, for the moment, you know, right. which creates exhaustion, but it also creates exhaustion that's recognizable. And I think the exhaustion that's recognizable, maybe, maybe is, is the exhaustion that will kill you. That's, my, that's what I'm banking on. Like, knowing the difference between fatigue, sleepiness, and being tired. Uh-huh. And that's a fucking, like, gift. That takes a lot of work. I mean, and it wasn't me. It's just because the people I really admire make it clear when they're resting, when they're moving, when they're thinking. They're deliberate. Deliberate. Okay. And that deliberateness is, 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 I think, also part of the fight.
0: Right. Okay, so, Fred, um, I hear something similar in when you said last night and also in the reading, um, the City Lights reading with Doug Kearney, which was also fantastic, by the way. You know, you, you said, I when writing this book, I, I'm feeling some struggle with art, artists, critics... I, I, there's almost like an exhaustion that's that I that I hear that seems similar to what Ronaldo is saying. And I know that there's deep, deliberate, constant training going on. But your body seems to come into your work differently than Ronaldo's, at least from what we see. And so I'm guess I'm wondering for you, when does the set start when does it end what is are there more sort of clear boundaries for you around what is and isn't a performance or are the perf- the conditions for performance the same as the conditions for composition or mm-hmm. for just like being in public is is everything a performance
1: well it's <laughs> So there's so many things to touch on. Um well specifically with regard to Ronaldo's performance last night and what happened. And I don't and when I say Ronaldo's performance, I mean both to indicate that there was something special and particular that you were doing, but it was also, you know, our performance. We were we were always together in it. And, and I noticed things as, as you began, just the way that you walked up to the podium. And it reminded me of something that I once heard read Cecil Taylor say, because people would, when he was playing, he got to a point where he would kind of preface his piano performance with reading poetry and with dance. And he just said, you know, you can't just walk up to the piano any kind of way. Mm-hmm. And I felt like, like I can't just walk up to the podium any kind of way. Mm-hmm. And it was beautiful the way you used the cord mm-hmm. as a kind of barrier mm-hmm. that kind of would shape your movements and your steps. So 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 on one and what it always does is you see, it lets us know that that the performance is in some sense always pushing back mm. the moment of its inception. So did your performance begin when you got to the podium? No, not if it's the case that you can't just walk up to the podium any kind of way. Mm-hmm. And when did you start walking to the podium? Mm-hmm. Well, you started walking to the podium while you were still sitting down. <laughs> right? I know. So when did it begin? I don't know when it began. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, and then it fans out in all these other directions because cause then it began again when you told the story about the coffee. Mm-hmm. Okay, but was that the beginning? Because in my mind, I got a friend named Hippatia Vorlumas, mm-hmm. who's Greek and Indonesian, but she lives mostly in Athens. And one of the things she told me during the sort of the Greek debt crisis of a few years ago, which is still ongoing and The disaster of this recent election in Greece. And she said, Well, the trouble with Greece is that there are too many people in Greece who are still committed to the idea that they're not Turkish. Right? She was like, You know, just imagine this tremendous burden of debt that has been placed on Greece, and particularly by Germans. Mm -hmm. But that shit goes back to the 17th, to the 18th century. It's first and foremost a philological and philosophical debt. Greece was burdened with the idea of being the origin of European culture, you know. And of course, it's not. Not only is Greece not the origins of European culture, Greece ain't European, because there's no such thing as Europe, okay? But look at the work that Greece is constantly being put to in order to preserve this ridiculous idea that there is something called Europe. Right. Okay. You know, I imagine Italians also feel this burden in a very particular way. Um, certainly Spain feels this burden in a very particular way. And that and the way that they deal with this burden, you know, well, it, it generally tends to not always, but it often manifests itself as anti-blackness, you know, like like what you get in a coffee. So so so, so, the reading began with this story that Hipatia told me you don 't even know Hipatia yet, yeah. but some but now you do you know yeah. she 's your friend now too, you know right it's like this sense in which the performance is always pushing its beginning back is um well let's let 's make up a new word so like your your grandma saying, well, are you?" Are you ready to go to the protest? Mm-hmm. Have you prepared for the protest? Did you eat? Mm-hmm. You know It's the pretest <laughs> mm-hmm. right um, mm-hmm. so the book is open the The book is open. So one of the books that has kind of been totally shaping the way I've been thinking for the last year and a half, I remember. When I was in college, you know, I used to go to the Grow Bookshop every day. It was right across from Harvard. And I, you know, would go there every day just for, just to try to feel better, <laughs> you know, because the rest of it was so kind of unforgiving. But, uh, and I would go in there, and one day I went in there, I saw this book, and it was just different than the other books. the The, the spine of it was green, mm-hmm. and it was... Bigger than other books. And then when I picked it up, I realized it was heavy. It was a paperback, but it was heavy because there were all, it was, this paper was interspersed with glossy paper for images. It just felt different than other books. So I got the book, you know. I don't even know how I paid for it because it was probably way more than what I could pay, but I somehow had the money. And it was a book called The Making of Le Pre. So The French poet Francis Pohn wrote a book, wrote a poem called Le Mm Pré. And then he wrote a book around that poem called, excuse my horrible French, La Fabrique de la Mm Pré. And the book is not only, so that the the actual poem is anticlimactic, because most of the book is the notes Uh that document the the making of this poem. Mm -hmm. And Pré, P-R-E, so it's the same pre as in prefix, as in pretest, as in pretext. But it is also a word that independently means meadow or field. So this is 19 late 50s, I think, early 60s. So it's a it's it's an example of a kind of French variation on what in the US was at that moment being called an open field poetics. So to read Ponge at that moment is to kind of Realize that he's working alongside of Olson and Duncan and all of those folks. And and um, so whenever I think of that book, now I also think of that great Duncan poem, uh, Often I Am Permitted to Return to a Meadow, mm. right? Because le Pre- meadow or field, right? This, what it's about is this constant presence, presence, you know, <laughs> um, of preparation, yeah, right. that we are, you know, that it is as, me, uh, as Wilson Harris says, infinite rehearsal, right? We're we're always we're in preparation for something, for what is to come, and we have to be open to that. and and the And the performance is not performance is a is a misleading word. It 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 implies ending right? A task has been performed, right? It implies completion. But, but, but when you perform, it's an opening. It's a, it's a, it's a constant presencing that is also an opening and a reopening and a renewal. And what it means is, I think, that we've been misspelling performance all along. It should be spelled P-R-E-F-O-R-M-A-N-C-E. Um, you can pronounce it however you want, mm-hmm. but, but, but performance, but that, that R and E need to be reversed right. in order to indicate yeah. this, this openness, this constant pushing back mm-hmm. of the beginning, and it's also a constant pushing away of the end. So when did it begin? It didn't begin. Mm-hmm. When, when is it over? It's, well, like <laughs> like Aaron Hall from Gaza. it's not over. It's not over. The party's not over, you know? And um, so you had to be there. Let's say, let's shift that slightly. In Michael Jackson's words, got to be there, right? You didn't have to be there. We got to be there, there in the morning. (laughs) got to be there how do you how do we in our performance practice in our criticism in our recordings and so forth how do we make it possible for people to fulfill the imperative that you got to be there oh you missed something you had to be there. no 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 no. it's still going on it's still open how can we get you there mm-hmm. right how can criticism get you to the performance to to its already to its ongoingness right this is um and how can performance maintain its openness so that the people who got to be there can can get there you know
0: oh my god fred you're like blowing my mind here I, I, and so i mean you know Doug Kearney's work is just all over my mind right now um, alongside the two of you. And and, and and what both of you were talking about last night or, or referred to of, of like, you don't have to read all these words. The, the, the book itself, because I, I, I felt myself as you were talking, want to say to you, OK, OK, Fred. But so then where's the book in all of this? Is the book the is the book? a recording of the performance of composition is the book, the, the, what's it called? My son would know he's a jazz musician. Like, like he'll go up and, you know, play with his jazz band and they'll play like, you know, a 20 minute song, but he's got one sheet of paper there. And it's just like, I don't even know what, you know, like four things. Like is the book that? Is the book the the music, the score, the notes, the 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 sketch for the performance that occurs in the reading and thinking and imagining and when I read your work like I've heard the album which I love, but it's not like reading your book is is a performance of the album just without the other people, it's its own performance. So okay, but then I was thinking all this stuff, is this the performance, is this the performance? And then I was like, you know what, I'm I'm thinking too limited. So I guess what I wanna say is, the performance, the ongoingness doesn't begin, it doesn't end, it has all the senses, even if it only appears to have One or 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 a few of them. I love this shift from you had to be there, got to be there. Where is the book in this to you? I guess.
1: So one of the people who was there last night is a friend who I work with at NYU named uh, Jennifer Huang, who who's a weaver, Mm. like this extraordinary weaver. And she has been thinking about, let's say, the, the sort of physics of, of weaving. And she's been thinking especially about the, the relationship between weave and wave. And she's, so she's been reading like a lot of deep reading of your colleague, Karen Barad, you know, um, great physicist in theorist who you know is really kind of opening up this sort of mysterious realm of quantum mechanics for folks who c- can't quite do it by the numbers you know and um and one of the things that, that Karen says or what 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 Karen opens up for Jennifer rather Jennifer was sort of saying well maybe one way to think about this whole problem of wave particle duality you know that the, the particle isn't there in, until it is observed right or she she put it this way light behaves like a wave until it is observed mm-hmm. and then it behaves like a particle well the particularity of the book I don't want to deny this experience that we can have and share of the particularity of the book, but but I guess I do want to believe and tend to believe in the in the priority of the wave and it's the wave that we're riding. the book is is an instance you know um, and and we and, and we read in that kind of observational way, but if we attend to the difference between observation and observance even in terms of our possible relation to the book if our if our attitude toward the book is one of observance of reading with mm-hmm. rather than looking at right and then all of a sudden things open up you know and one of the things that happens i think is that you see the like what you were saying before, the, the palimpsestic nature of the whole thing, right? Which you make evident and clear with the slides. And you, but, but it's like revealing, making, making something obvious for us that we tend to not see, and maybe sometimes even tend not want to see, mm-hmm. that there are these layers, right? And if we can make ourselves small enough we can get in there, you know. We can, we can be, we can, again, we can be permitted to return to a meadow in which we are part of this field. And so, um, like last night, you know, I was having trouble. My shadow was over one page, like the book was open, and on the left side, it was clear, the light. But on the right side, my shadow was blocking my own vision. Mm-hmm. And I was like, and I, But I was trying to keep, you know, I was in a kind of a flow, you know, I had a rhythm going and there were words that, you know, I don't have those poems memorized. Mm-hmm. That's not true. I don't have the words memorized, but I have the sound mm-hmm. memorized, mm-hmm. right? And so sometimes at one word, I, I think I said bowl, I, I, mm-hmm. the word was bowl mm-hmm. in that poem surfacing, but I said boil, mm-hmm. but boil worked, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Boyle worked, mm-hmm. and I realized it wasn't, now I said, oh, but it really was Boyle. No, Boyle was there, too. Mm-hmm. Boyle was there, too. Like, I was thinking of, maybe think of that Monk song, Shuffle Boyle, and in the great little journal that late, great Bay Area poet David Meltzer used to put out called Shuffle Boyle, mm-hmm. you know? So all that's kind of running, fluffing around in my head, but, mm-hmm. you know, another writer who I've been, so this great Swiss critic named Jean Starobinski wrote a book about Saussure's late lectures on anagrams, mm-hmm. which links up in this very beautiful way with the stuff that, that Christina Sharp says about anagrammatical blackness. You know, but the anagram—it's like someone saying, like every word bears with it the trace of all these other words that it could have been. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and and. Um, and this is something that comes into relief in translation. But if you can be attuned to that without necessarily even involving yourself in the apparatus of translation, if you can see the other words that might have been there, even if it's in the same language that you know, then all of a sudden the the book becomes a, a score, right? Which is to say the book within within most musical traditions the score is an occasion for deviance, it's an occasion for variation and the book becomes something. And I've seen this, you know, like with Doug, like mm-hmm. like what's off the page, what's off the books, you know, or like Cecily Nicholson, you, you ever heard Cecily? Oh man, you know, she's a great poet from Vancouver, she lives now. but. One time I saw her, she has this beautiful book called Wayward Saying mm. and she gave a reading at NYU and she started reading and she didn't finish a single poem. Wow. She was just moving through the book and then moving back mm. and, you, and we, you, could, you, could, you could kind of sense the seams mm-hmm. between poems but you also could feel this, this she was remixing her own book. As she was reading, you know, and it was like.
0: Yeah. You know. Where's the book in all of this for you? As like an object, is it? Is it a destination? You don't also have to answer that. I have another no, question for no, you, no, but no, yeah, no, I'm, no, I'm, I'm, I'm curious. By,
2: I think just thinking through it, but yeah. keep asking.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I don't want to get sidetracked by this, but I, I told Ronaldo before we started that I'm starting a school and one of the many reasons for that is in all the teaching settings that I've been in whether it's you know NYU or Yale or 92nd Street Y or there is such a limited narrow set of constraints around what is i mean first of all the whole education system is is set up so that students want to please me and fulfill my expectations, which r- requires that I have a certain set of expectations, they're not supposed to deviate, they're not supposed to surpass, they're not supposed to refuse, they're not supposed to you know, blow it all up. And so it's very hard in a traditional workshop setting, which I refuse to do, to be writing something that you can't read in one session, like even too long, too weird, too, you know, and what I want all of us and certainly my students to do is to bring something in to share for which there is not yet a critical language to discuss it because we need to invent a critical language to, to discuss it. The book itself, forget about like, My complaints about how, you know, how limiting it is to focus on what can be published, you know, like physically or what what the gatekeeping, you know, publish of the publishing world is if you're even going to say like, okay, what does it mean to be a poet? What does it mean to be a successful poet? Does it mean to be a published poet? I mean, we have to be real. Like, there are material circumstances. We have to make money and eat and, you know, all this stuff. But the, there are so many beautiful things about books. They are transportable. Um, you can have a relationship with one in private. You can give it to somebody else. You can you can live in a place where where... Nobody ever comes to give a live performance and you have the book. You know, I'm not, I, I, I love books. But at the same time, books themselves and in, in some ways, like we talk so much about like the death of the book and all this stuff. There's also a cult of the book though, right? And, and, and there are problems with that because if the goal of the poet is to write and publish and sell a book, and the book is the destination or the book is the product of experience it's going to profoundly limit what we even think of as the compositional space and and what we think of as the kind of experience that's worthy to make into art or to or, or what we want poetry to make us, or let us feel and see and hear. You know, I, I, I think about this sometimes after I listen to just like a stunning piece of music. I'll listen and then it's the silence afterwards that I think, my God, I am having this incredible relationship with the sound, after the the music is over, right? And so this is what I feel like both of you are talking about is, is opening up our awareness of the no beginning, the no end, the no limitations of performance, composition, performativity, you know, all of these things. So then the book to some extent is a physical object that is fixed. And so I guess I'm I'm wondering for you Ronaldo in your practice as a maker as a beer as a dancer as a poet as a writer as a performer as a scholar as a friend as a lover as a you know all of these things right where where does the book fall for you is it a is it a is it a fetish and I mean that more like, well, in both ways, but more as like a sacred object. Or is it a, a kind of a necessary thing that's part of your profession that you need to do in order to get to do lots of things? Or if you could, would you find a way to make a book that is as ongoing as performance, I guess. Hmm. Yeah. No. Yeah. He's multitasking. Okay.
2: He's, 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 oh, what you gonna he's,
0: say? I think he's signing.
2: So I think that there are a couple of things that come to mind, you know, with, um, I remember last night when Fred was saying, was talking about, you know, being sent Mm -hmm. to school and I think about my mother saying you know distinguishing the words she says she says was he were they educated Mm -hmm. you know and I think about that a lot in relationship to the books the books sort of transactional like all the things that are transactional I know right because I was set in a position to understand its value right I remember again I don't know when I was first off to graduate school, June said, "When I was like, oh, I'll get a PhD," mm-hmm. and she said, "Well, you know, you better be careful because they'll try to book you to death." But this is also someone who came in to Berkeley as a full professor, and it was all known from that she had twenty books, mm-hmm. and who else had twenty books? And at the time, I thought, what a great thing! But also. That's an insurmountable amount of work to have to come in, as we know in the UC system. It, that person should have been dis- distinguished. Every single thing should have come with an, a, an endowment. Every single thing, not just full. So there are the practical things that I think are just a part of the sport, right? They're a part of the equipment. Like, I mean, there's a pra- I have a practical relationship with, you know, knowing that I have to, you know, make or or be attentive. Attend- to attend to the things that are important in order to just participate, right? Just at a basic level. You know, I would need equipment if I were playing tennis. I would have to have my strings at a particular, so that's the equipment, right? Mm-hmm. But the book, the formation, some books mean more to than other books um, from people. This discovery of this, you know, kind of um, French annotation translation of the sort of of the kind of presence of the thing before made me think about, you know, sitting with Mina Alexander. It, I was thinking about how I learned um, about books, mm-hmm. right? About Wordsworth's Prelude in the context of um, the sublime, in the context of post colonial, um, the post colonial imagination. And to really sit with all, and, and I remember reading that with Mina and how much we talked about. You know this child, this sort of preformed thing, and I wasn't. And it reminded me of, of of a very important book for me was Ellison's Invisible Man, and and I could never get past the the pro the the uh, the is it the prologue? I could never get past it. Mm-hmm. I will always return. It's another thing I came to before our reading was I was it was it was returning to that moment and understanding that that is. Just, that's a, those are very special for me because they maintain the possibility of of the life of, of writing. Mm-hmm. And so for me in terms of writing is it's all of the things. A book is a stopping point that I, I know at some point it's so much if it took that much labor to read that work, why do I want to return to that for this for it's that's for someone else. That's, in some ways, I can do that, but it's gonna take me into a place of writing. And that's so private. So for me, I, I also treat the book in some ways as I can, I can pick and choose where I wanna go, particularly because the newer book is all their stories. Mm-hmm. So that relates to another, something that I have learned about my work is that I'm invested in persona from the very beginning. And they're all of these weird voices in mass. It's never me. It's always, I take it very seriously to move in and around these figures that can then have a subjective relationship to, uh, to the, a very objectifying um, position and subject position in my work. And again, that's a strategy, right? And I, I think it's because I grew up, you know, so much in, in the realm of, of, of having an accountability with my body, You know, because I was trained. I was was trained to fight. Mm -hmm. My father was wrestling us, teaching us all of the things. I was studying. I was in judo. I was in judo classes. I was in tennis classes. I was, everything was very physical. You know, a lot of basketball, a lot of baseball. Every single thing was tied to language. So the the manifestation of a pitch for me was all about how we would sit for hours and just, you know, throw a ball against the wall. And, and, and where is it hitting? How is it spinning? Or, and then we would translate that to a serve. And then my mother would be cooking. And all of these things were happening at the same time. But each thing, like the book, had a kind of extant condition, right? You then suddenly could hit an amazing backhand down the line. That's the book, right? That is the book. You can do that a million times if you're in the right position to do that. If you're trained, I have, and I think this is what I love about to kind of just put, to kind of offer another way into the openness is also, is a certain kind of ascendancy. Mm. You know, ascendancy into getting to that, into the zone of the work. I don't know if it works for everyone. I don't know if every book does that. I don't know what's a trick and what's not a trick. But I know when I hear it, I have not read probably you know, I finished the PhD, I have all these books in my office. I don't even know what they are, really. They're just like these beings around me. And then I approach them and I'll read a little something that I can. And only now am I feeling like that's okay. Mm-hmm. Like it's okay. Like I don't have to have a mastery over it, right? Mm-hmm. That's the thing. It's trying to avoid the mastery of someone else's idea of what the composition of that book has to be, right? So writing it is just leaning into all of the faith that you can do it. Like, you do have to try it. every single thing that you make is the book. Just like booking, right? Like, got a book, you know, got a book. And the last thing I'll say is I learned, too, another moment, seeing, I don't know, June's coming up so vividly, Just before she died, she gave one of her last performances, I'm sure, no, three people, Toni Morrison, Bildy Jones, and uh, and June. Bildy Jones, I'd never seen this man in my life. He gets on the stage, and he just does this thing and reads, and I was like, what? And I'd been following him ever since. That, to me, is the book, Mm -hmm. right? I think his presence in the world always is a reminder that you can, those things are simultaneous. And then when I understood the practice of who he's bringing on stage, a funny story, is my mother, I took her to see my mother and father. And you know, he has, at the time it was in the 90s, so there were these unusual bodies that weren't. You know, my parents are sitting there, my mom's like, with her toothpick, (gasps) laughing out loud. Mm -hmm. Oh, look at that one, that one is bat. That Like, dying, but no one else did it. And at that moment, I also understood that was the book. Yeah. Because I did not feel in any moment. I was just enough in awareness to not feel shame. I was like, yeah, whatever. she's like, great. And my dad, when he saw Two Trains Running, was leaping out of his, leaping, leaping out of his chair. Like, yeah, all right. Or, you know, bring the noise. But all the things, because I, I got just so alive. And I thought, Oh, okay. So maybe the book is also, for me, can it be this site of of, of, of real appreciation for for the work and the rigor of the thing? Mm-hmm. And I have faith in it. I have faith in it. I love them. I love reading. But I also love reading every single thing, including books, mm-hmm. like flies. You know what I mean? Like, I don't privilege the book over all of the other things. And I'm just now understanding or I'm hoping that maybe the book is also negotiating the the kind of semblances of shame around that, of honoring the book as one other transactional thing, one other thing that we carry, that we make. Yeah. you know. And writers get to make it all along the way. And sometimes the book does advance itself as the stopping point, but for many of us, you know... Think about the one book for some of, like, like even to go back to, to, to Ellison's Invisible Man. That is a book, right, that will never end. <laughs> I mean, it is, it, is, it is the opus to me of like the source text for a certain kind of mood, of, and each day and each time. And I think that Fred's creating that body of work, right? And I think the body of work too, is something that is, again, again, I'd like, there are two ways. I understand its value, but I also understand its, and I'm learning to appreciate its, it's, you know, it's sort of life, you know, it's sort of, its, I think a lot about Duriel. Duriel Harris is so good about stopping us in BTC and saying, I've lost something. She's like, okay, let's just stop everything right now. We're going to stop. We stop everything. Let's look for the keys. Mm-hmm. And she'll sit down, and she'll say, Ronaldo, let's just stop. And she'll just start reading and letting us go look for the keys and letting us go crazy and she makes a stop. That is I think that formation of book making, of book being, like the weaving. The weaving and the waving is to me truly the book. And I I I couldn't imagine any other any other source mm-hmm. that inspires all of the other things, which is why I'm not letting it go and just busting out me and a dancer or a visual artist. Because that book is, the, is really the ballast that allows all of the other things. And it's just because there's something about, for those of us who, have a, who are attending to, to language, and who you know that language is just as much a part as our blood mm-hmm. and our, it is our being, like that's our, that's our source. You know, and you can't front and say that that's not it. But to attend to that as a reality is all of the things, all of the danger, all of the love, all of the, you know. So I think it's maybe the, to kind of go back to the book. Maybe the book is that, you know, that weave wave, force, source, ascension, energy. And then it gets, you know. But again, I'm also extremely aware that there are others who've come before me so I can manifest my mark making in a way that keeps me nice, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Nice, mm-hmm. not, th- th- not surviving, but thriving. Mm-hmm. And I want that, I need it. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, we go to the visual artists because the visual artists know, they know what's nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they know, they're not moving something, they're sending their work in crates that if that shit moves, somebody's getting fired, and that thing is, it's the reason why that thing is two million, blah, blah, blah.
0: It, it, there's a poverty of the book. Well, of
2: the, of the, I would say yes and no. I would say that there's also a richness in, it, like, how do we attend to the things, the, the value that's, because it's priceless, and the relationship between things that hang, things that are sonic, Things that are painted, things that are ugly, things that are they, which are bodies that are paint, bodies that are. So that is the 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 kind of thing is how do we you know how do we render our place? For me, it's also to render it to 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 give space for other people to make or for other people to be as narcissistic or as selfish or as weird as I am. I I do know that ultimately I want. I wrote a letter for someone. You know, won a big prize. And I was shocked hmm. that I was overwhelmed in joy that they won. Mm-hmm. And it was a place where I thought, oh, I thought I, I realized, oh, I'm not jealous. Because I actually wanted that person. And they won. And I was like, okay, I could die a happy man. Because that person won. And their work is dope. Mm-hmm. And I wrote and helped. And that, and I realized, oh, okay, that's what I want. And it's winning, right? It's, just, It really is. It, I mean... It's all the things. It's it's the mastery of um, who's this mastery M A S T R Y the big painter. Um, I'll remember him soon. Uh, paints in all the kind of black, 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 black um, sort of two dimensional. Yeah, Carrie yeah. James Marshall's mastery. Okay. It's that mastery yeah. that's with the master with the hyphenated, you know. It's without the e. It's a kind of, you know, pressure of language that then can create. The vastness of possibility and and I think just wealth right, like livelihood, like you need it, you just need like life affirming things you need good things to keep to keep going right, or else something happens where you 're just not going to make it and i i want I want people to make it. yeah <laughs> i yeah. do i do I really want healthfulness in, in in the art making I want joy yeah. in it i don't want the I mean, there's a difference between the blues, right, and the blue and the sorrow mm-hmm. and the singing and the soul. And I think you have to have the conditions to make that, you know, Aretha Franklin only getting paid in cash. There's a reason for that. Yeah. Not flying, maintaining, you know, that voice. Anyway, that's, I, I think they're all related to the conditions of what we do call a book.
0: Well, I, I mean, I also, I loved when you used the word ballast for the book and it made me think about my meditation practice, which is very, I'm a beginner, 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 but some days sound is my anchor to be in the present. Some days, you know, pain is my anchor Mm -hmm. to be in the present. Sometimes, Mm -hmm. you know, the dog barks and that brings me back into the present. I think Part of what we're talking about is the way performance brings us into the presence, present and presence, and also performance, maybe as a practice or a process or a relationship or a wave, brings the present out of the present almost it it extends the moments of the present and and you know here I am talking about all the limitations of the book but the book books bring me into the present and and often they are the ballast and and the or the anchor or the or the they they're, they wake me up so we have bodies and other lives and you're going to the museum and your knees are given you trouble so I I never want this to end also it never does but um, I I also am aware of the fact that like I was like oh we'll talk about the fight oh we'll talk about and I didn't you know so is there anything else like I really just want to give us a minute not me but the two of you anything you want to add or say
1: well just about the book so what I was doing was i I changed something. Um, it's on page 100, and then I realized I, I got to get a better pen because I don't think what I changed is legible. But so there's a line on that page about a Charles Gaines tree. Oh my gosh! But Charles Gaines is he makes these beautiful yeah pieces with those trees. But somehow, as much as I was thinking about his work and referring to him, it just feels much better to me that that, that should say Charles Gale Tree. <laughs> mm. Think of the musician. And um, mm. so, that, and I meant it I wanted to change. But see, I, I never mm. stop revising, mm. I just have to, be okay with the fact that the book is going to come out, it's okay because I can still revise it. So, all my copies of my books are marked up with revision. And I don't care if, if there's ever a reprinting of it, it doesn't matter. But because the, the book, but it's open, yeah. you know. Yeah. And I imagine that, you know, I write in the margins of other people's books. And I mean, that's basically how all my writing starts. Mm. Is is in the margins of other people's books, yeah. and and I like to have mm. books that have big enough margins so people could write in the margins of mine. You know, um, I mean that's physical. You know, like, yeah. and I've been lucky with um, the publishers I work with, especially with the poetry stuff. the 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 academic stuff is you don't have as much you know they're they they have constraints mm-hmm. you know kind of like what you were talking about so but i but i keep right reworking on those too so so the books the books are open you know they appear to resolve into a particle but but they unravel and that's good you know and and i also think too that uh <laughs> When I, I got sent to school with with two missions that were probably contradictory, but one of them was certainly so that I could make it, you know, right. so I could make a living. Yeah. yeah. And 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 my, you know, like you were talking about last night, you you're a hard worker. I'm like oh, I'm a hard worker too. Yeah, it's probably. I mean, you. yeah. I, it's funny. I recognize over the course of time that I that I must have been a hard worker, but. But I still somehow think of myself as lazy, you mm. know, in this weird way that I can't quite, like, I somehow conscious of both of these things. But, but I came from working people, and we work to make a living. There's these other missions that go along with the work, you know, to, to, to beautify, you know, yeah, to, right. to, 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 to tear shit up.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And there might be contradictions between those two missions. There might be there are, but that's what I was sent to school to do. So, so for me, you know, I had to write certain books, you know, so I could keep my job. Mm-hmm. And I'm totally, you know, on the one hand, I, I don't think that, 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 that that's an optimal condition. You shouldn't have to do anything to make a living. But I'm glad that I was able to do them, you know? Yeah, and, um right. and I And I, mm-hmm. but, 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 but by the same token,
2: the, the books are open. There's like a, there's a real, I mean, I'm a practical guy. There's a real benefit. I don't have to do that because <laughs> Fred did it. You know what I mean? Like, I actually don't have to ever write an academic book. But because Fred has made it possible to buttress Gaines and Gale. And to understand what Gaines is to me, you know, what I'm learning about Charles Gaines's work is very similar to June Jordan in terms of understanding the universe and the waves and the, the solar system, the, the universe, and broad, you know. But what is it when poetry and are the numbers, and I don't even know, right? They're the moments of the accident to say that I had a sense, a hunch that the moment was a national feud between the Turks and and the... I knew that was what jumped off. And I was suddenly made into, like, you didn't know? And the making it meant that I could announce my first world power and to submit, I could sub- make them submit and make me feel bad but make the work. But I wanted to get to something I think that was even, I think, m- much more, more pressing is, is that you know, is that the decision of, of a moment, right? Like, this is a very important moment for me because I'm returning to this dissertation project and writing and really learning how to, how to return to these arguments, which aren't really necessarily arguments but are communications mm-hmm. between folks. And it just dawned on me, I was like, oh, okay, of course I have to really look at Fred's poetry. <laughs> For the, I mean, <laughs> duh, right? I mean, it, that's the kind of thing. But I, 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 feel that that is the openness of the open book leads to the other open book, which is why I think Fred's work in in being alone but consenting never to be alone is also what gave birth to to Black Took, even though we never met mm-hmm. until we met. You know, and I think that meeting is also as we all know as poets, that happens when language collides mm-hmm. and chance happens, when the explosive of language can be. And I have been giving, given the space to improvise mm-hmm. and to totally never read a book, show up and just hit it. And that is because of others who, and I, I'm aware of that, and I think that that is a part of the black tradition. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is the tradition that, that, you know, and it is what I'm learning is it is a black tradition that is inherently it is it is a universal diasporic condition and it's a consolative one, you know, and it's deeper and it's where I'm I'm happy to learn, and I think that that is that little little moment, right, like that moment, Fred's like I went into the library, into the Grolier because I was feeling this way and I found this book, and I do think that like that moment when you know, Barbara Christian, many, many years on another side of the world, another planet. I was writing as a young person. I was working with her, and I was supposed to write on Asian American studies. And she's, Ronaldo, I just want you to go to all the bookstores and libraries that you can go to in in the Bay Hmm. and just go look and meet people. And I met Janice Miracatani. I met these people. But I just think these moments are not accidents, that they're happening together. And And the poignant moments... Um, and that's another maybe another way to to keep going with this discussion is like you know the sort of finding how to witness and to make you know something poignant and moving and you know and that rendering is it comes with care and craft and all of the things as the kids say you know all of the things you know that, that make that moment and I, and i do think that there's something around you know that it isn't an accident that I think it's destiny. I think it's just these, you know, we're brought together. That is a little bit of step that I think that I've made in the next generation or in the same generation, the simultaneous generation. But I can recognize it. And I, I'm, i you know, I'm aware of it.
1: The one last thing I want to talk about was being ready to fight. <laughs> and uh, there's this constant presence of violence now um, and I think it's a good thing to make a distinction between violence and brutality that that violence is is the overall general condition but and brutality is a special case um, and and it's a terrible case so there's the brutality that attends the anxiety over trying to be European that intervenes on all you're trying to do is just have a cup of coffee Mm -hmm. and um, that brutality you know and you respond to that brutality with violence you have to there's no nonviolent response you know it's get up off get up get up get up off of me you know and um and and you have to be ready for that you have to be prepared for that when you walk out the door, right? We, I think we were all, we were raised to be ready, mm-hmm. and kind of deeper even than being ready for it, but to be kind of on some days to kind of be looking for it, hoping for it. Yeah. It's like the, the, the Cedric the Entertainer, you know. We wish we, we wish a motherfucker would be in our seat, you know, <laughs> you, right? Because <laughs> what you do, you know? with that? yeah, because I I'm, I'm ready today.
0: Yeah, you know, I'm ready. You know, like
1: my mom, man, she would sit up at night and write stuff. She had these big old notepads, the little little blocks of sticky notes. You know, that I found, you know, after she passed, Mm. she would be writing what she was gonna say to somebody if somebody messed with her tomorrow. You know, she was ready. You know, but but that readiness becomes. She left something beautiful with those right. notes, you know. Right. It's love. It's beautiful. It's funny, yeah. and it's, and then I think, you know, this this constancy of of preparation, that's mm-hmm. the other part of the violence, and it's it's how we mm-hmm. we push each other and make ways for each other and make waves for each other, mm-hmm. for each other you know, mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. and that kind of that kind of way that you you know. You open something up, you you create a way, you open something up you the The, the book is not left intact. Your book doesn't leave other books intact, mm. right they, they are all being made open, and like the way you were talking about your teachers, you know June and Mina, you know um, that that too is violent, but it's loving, yeah, right. But 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 you are not left intact, Mm-mm. you know. Um, and the book is beautiful because it is a kind of mm. coalescence of these openings, mm. you know. Like you you know, it's like a like a wormhole yeah. made up of a whole bunch of other wormholes. Yeah. And you reading you're like you're reading where you go, pew, you're yeah. gone, right? You exactly. know. Right. But but you right. but you're also. That that gravity that 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 literally propels you through that wormhole, but it, it tears you apart, yeah. too. You know, right. you you will not remain intact. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, I kept I I thought, man, I don't want to write no more books. You know, I don't I don't have to you know anymore to keep my job. And I thought, and then I was playing with these music, and I just wanted to just do that. You know, and make the records, but. But somehow this this one happened, and then I feel like after today, shit, I I might do another
2: one. (laughs) Oh, (laughs)
0: okay. All right, maybe we should end, because otherwise we never will. This has been Episode 120 of Commonplace. I'm your host, Rachel Zucker. Thank you to Fred Moten and Ronaldo V. Wilson, to Laura Henriksen and everyone at the Poetry Project at St. Mark's Church. Thank you to Duke University Press, Wave Books, Wendy's Subway, 1913 Press. Thank you to Christine LaRusso, Lee Sugar, and Vanessa Chung for your work on this and other episodes. Thank you to our patrons. Thank you to everyone who sends me notes of support and encouragement. And most of all, and always, to you, listener, thank you for listening.